Daniel 6, 16 through 18. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Amen, dear saints. You may be seated. For now, let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for your providence and grace. Thank you for the gospel, the preaching, means of grace, prayer, the Lord's Supper, the saints of God in whom we have all our delight. Pray for Kenny, one of those saints, as he gets ready to bring the the word, the food, next Lord's Day, Palm Sunday. Thank you, Father. Now for this day, may we <clears throat> deeply and drink of Christ our life, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So God's superintending providential wonderful grace sometimes absolutely astounds me. And when you look at this particular text, it is really a Good Friday-ish type text. It's a Holy Week-ish one. We have the stone being placed, the seal there, reminds us of what happened with Jesus on Good Friday, the original one. And this text here sets us up perfectly next, two weeks from now, actually on Easter Sunday, for Daniel's resurrection out of the lion's den, the tomb of certain death at the teeth and hands and paws of wild animals that would have eaten him alive. And today's scripture lesson also situates us in the situation we have in the fall in Adam as in our sepulcher of death and rebellion against God. And yet, the grace of God lifts us up out of that in the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. It's preached to you right now. The Lord's Supper, come out of all that death every Sunday, the resurrection days. We have new life. We're a little closer to God in Christ Jesus, more conformed into his image. The laws of men do reflect the ultimate law of God, that he who sins will die, and the soul tainted with sin is condemned. And yet, for the sinner saint redeemed in Jesus Christ, those sins are removed from us, as we saw earlier today, as far as the east is from the west, completely expunged in the blood of the Lamb. No more bondage to hell, damnation, the flesh, the world, the devil. The church and the world desperately need this gospel message that you're hearing here today. This good news that we, the people of God, possess in our pristine and glorious Lord Jesus. And therefore, let's make it our goal on this resurrection day to stay hopeful and confident in Christ, even in a lion's den. Maybe some of you are feeling that way even today. We're going to be looking at Daniel 6, 16 through 18. The laws of men, the grace of God, the doctrine. God allows the evil laws of men to coexist with his grace in Christ. C-O-E-X-I-S-T, it's one word, coexist, to live side by side with it. That's an especially encouraging and remarkable, interesting truth. In fact, especially as we live down here in these days today, these days that... The sovereign providential God has located us in this place at this time to be his people on this planet, to constitute this special model church for the whole world. 
to be the people of God, humble, gracious, loving, kind, generous of spirit, growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord. Ever since the fall of man into sin, wicked human laws have lived in one sense or degree right alongside God's gospel mercies in the Lord Jesus Christ. That happened right after the fall, and then it continued right up to today. There's evil laws of men, the gracious gracious mercy and kindness of God. So let's consider that God allows the evil laws of men to coexist with his grace in Christ. First, Daniel was not exempt from being tossed into the lion's den. You ever thought about it? No amount of honor, integrity, virtue, goodness, faithfulness, diligence, hard work, churchmanship, good citizenship, would or could have kept Daniel, the great Old Testament saint, from being thrown to the wild beasts at the base of that lion's den. But the real key for us to think about and understand is to recognize that it was God, not the vile Medo-Persian bureaucrats who spent all their time running around trying to trap Daniel so they could climb up the social ladder, the gospel or the the government ladder, if you will. It was God himself who not only allowed, but made sure that his great servant, Daniel of old, would be placed in that lion's den. Now, for us, this is something of a a great mystery. Uh, We might ask, why do we face these kinds of experiences? And it's a legitimate question. But it is true that a sovereign God was superintending all the events in Daniel's life as he is in yours as well. It's a great mystery. It takes nothing away from the absolute, concrete, objective reality of the wickedness of those evil people that conspired against him and did that. They did that of their own free will, if you will, their own volition, their wickedness. They wanted to do that. God didn't force them to do it. But it also takes nothing away from the absolute sovereignty of our good, holy, and righteous God. Now, there is a certain liberty that you, dear saints, here, of a church like this, and other faithful churches around the world may enjoy in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's this. And you've been hearing it a lot. Virtually everything works for your ultimate good, And absolutely nothing can ultimately harm you, even though there may be some displeasure and discouragement and hardship, trouble that comes upon us temporally. And all this is as per the oft-quoted of late, especially Romans 8.28. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Leads naturally to our next point. Daniel was not exempt, neither you or I, from being tossed into the lion's den, but neither could he escape the power and love of his good God. Oh, if we could come to understand, embrace, accept, and experience this all in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. But that's the hard thing to do, isn't it? That's the maturing process, isn't it, dear saints? That's where we are in this world. It's not easy. But if we could come to understand that he could not escape the power and love of his good God. You know, the evil laws of human beings may lock us up in their lion's dens of wickedness and wokeism and atheism and sodomy and all kinds of other isms. 
And they want us to share in those sins with them. Lock us up in the lion's den. If everyone has to suffer, we are to suffer too. And there's a certain sense in which that's true. But the greater reality, the thing that we should especially take to heart, is despite this, the fact that God is far more powerful than they are, or their laws, or any of the forces that come against us at any point. And he guarantees our victory over his and our foes, in and through the resurrected Jesus Christ, who's rising from the dead, we will especially mark in just two weeks. But we actually do it every Sunday. What did Daniel do through all this? So he's at home, he's praying three times a day, windows open toward Jerusalem, on his knees, praying. Didn't do much different than he would ordinarily, just submitted to the will of his good and gracious providential heavenly father. And he was required to go to the lion's den. Yep. And if God, his father, required that of him, okay, he'd go. If that's what it meant to stay faithful to God and not to bend and bow to the idols of the world, then so be it. So be it. Same with us. But while he was there, he trusted his God, just like we are to do today in the Lord Jesus Christ. He himself, Christ Jesus, is our hope, our life, our glory, our joy. No lion's den can hold you, dear saints. Let's look at the text. It's exciting. Oh, it sets us up for Easter. 16 to 18, chapter 6, Daniel. And wonder at how our Heavenly Father mixes, M-I-X-E-S, mixes the laws of men and the grace of God. This is where it gets both quite interesting and eminently relevant for us. There's, we do not live in a sanitized world where corruption and purity are kept miles apart. Instead, in the fallen universe where we are today, everything God made good is to some extent intertwined with evil and wickedness, and bad laws, and wicked people. But that's the way God made it, and that's why we're here. And it's actually good because it creates a context for us to have to trust God and grow in grace into the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and become more like him, and to share in his, if you will, his sufferings, which he underwent down here for us in the ultimate degree. All this is part of the design of our perfect and infallible God, who wondrously makes his own beloved church marvel at how our Heavenly Father mixes the laws of men and the grace of God. First, doom is overwhelmed through Christ's victory. Verse 16, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. This little verse has a definite light and dark side to it. First, if you will, the dark side. On one hand, King Darius does what he was destined to do. He had been trapped, he had been snared by his own laws, his own pride, and these wicked people. And now he himself can't stop himself. He himself has to give the awful command which he did not want to give, which he does to have Daniel thrown in the lion's den. Because that was the law of the Medes and Persians. It can't be changed. Yeah. On the other hand, though, even he, Darius, the pagan ruler, had an abiding hope 
that the great God that Daniel served so faithfully in his realm and his kingdom, that great God would yet be able to rescue his child. This guy, a pagan, had that hope. Dears, was that not how it was when the lifeless corpse of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ was placed into the tomb on that first Good Friday? Does not verse 16 of Daniel 6 remind us of chapter 27 of the Gospel of Matthew, for instance? The Lord Jesus placed in that tomb, yet with that fateful event of death and burial, Christ had before him the absolute knowledge from God his Father, that he would rise from the dead three days later on that first new covenant Sabbath day, the new resurrection day, the new covenant church's day of rest, Sunday, the day which we're celebrating today. He knew he would rise from the dead, and he did. There's whatever impending scary scenario you or I may be facing or about to encounter in life. Let us go into it with these two biblical and gospel perspectives and notions in mind. One, that the trial is real. After all, Daniel's lion's den was not illusory. He wasn't having a dream or a nightmare. It was a real lion's den. He got thrown in it. That could happen to us in various ways, all kinds of potential. But two, more important, that our God is more real and exceedingly more powerful than any of those struggles, trials, lion's dens, or any other tribulations we have to face. Doom is overwhelmed through Christ's victory, and death is overcome through Christ's life. Verse 17. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. This is sort of the official seal of death upon the tomb. This verse reminds us so much, again, of our Lord Jesus' tomb experience on that first Good Friday. You might recall, again, the aforementioned 27th chapter of Matthew. At verse 66, we read these words. So they, the chief priests and Pharisees, went and made Christ's tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Remember, they were concerned because they knew he had said he would rise from the dead, so they they didn't take any chances. It's one of the great proofs of the resurrection is that they went to this extraordinary measure of going to the governor and saying, hey, this man said he was going to rise from the dead, and if something happens and they steal his body, it's going to be worse. Take a bunch of soldiers, put a seal on it. That's what they did. I'll tell you, there's there's no question about the fact Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There is absolutely no way around it. It happened. And we see a, a preliminary of that right here. Now, this verse 17 is intriguing because for us it perfectly illustrates the lives of us Christian churchmen who love God. We have to die before we live in Christ. That's what resurrection is. If we don't die, you don't rise. There is no resurrection without death. And so what we're doing every Sunday as we confess our sins, as we receive absolution, as we hear the gospel, as we take the Lord's Supper, as we pray and enjoy the saints' fellowship, 
We are rising again in our hearts and newness of life into more conformity to the image of Christ. We die and we rise. That beautiful Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. That's resurrection language. Death sealed by Daniel's sealed lion's den is a continual one. We die to the sin, the world, the flesh every day. But this death, dears, this very death to those things, little by little, more and more, day by day, Lord's day to Lord's day, makes our resurrection life in Jesus all the more amazing, glorious, and praiseworthy. No death, no resurrection. Do you feel like you've been sealed up in some tomb or lion's den that all hope of escape and redemption is gone forever? It's just gone. That's not true, dear. It's not true. No, it's not true. This great God that brought the Son of God out of the tomb can and will bring you, the elect saints, out of whatever grave you find yourselves as well. As we will now find out, take heart. Doom is overwhelmed through Christ's victory. Death is overcome through Christ's life. And finally, despair is overthrown through Christ's hope. Verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. So let's presume that King Darius, Medo-Persian Empire, 6th century B.C., is a pagan. Not even a believer. Right? Let's just assume that. The text seems to imply that. He nonetheless maintained a very real level of hope for the deliverance of his friend, Daniel. And he, he knew, he was smart enough, he'd probably thrown other people to the lion's den before. Nobody else ever came out of that thing alive. But he knew that if he was going to be saved, it would have to be this powerful Hebrew God, Yahweh that Daniel so faithfully worshipped and loved. Dear, think about it. He had hope, because otherwise, why would he have bothered with fasting, depriving himself of sleep and royal entertainment? If he didn't have any hope, he would have just called in the musicians and had a good old time, big old party, drown his sorrows. But no, he had hope. Probably had hope right away, because... He didn't hear Daniel's bones being crushed on the way down to the bottom of the lion's den when he threw him in there before they put the stone over it and sealed it. Darius' experience is analogous to our need to suffer, repent, and humble ourselves in Christ Jesus. And to take the lowest place possible. To never ever trust ourselves, our wicked and deceitful hearts, but to always trust Christ alone, implicitly, fully, entirely, and to throw ourselves upon God's grace in him. But if we do that, the result, if we do it out of unfeigned faith in Jesus and love for God, is resurrection from all our difficulties that are so stupendous that it elicits loud and glorious praise to our God. In the house of the Lord, the house of prayer for all the nations, in the church, the worship services, convocation of the saints. 
So where are you here today, dears? There are only three places you can be, and a fourth one we'll talk about. Are you, where are you on the continuum of Christian living? Are you with Daniel in the lion's den? Not a pretty place to be. Are you with Darius enduring difficult and sleepless nights? Or are you with some people, hypocrites, which place God's churchmen in these trying and difficult situations? But there is one other place that you may now be in, or if not, you will be, if you are in Christ as a faithful member of his church. And that is the glorious position, the magnificent state of resurrection in Jesus, which we will see, as I mentioned, in two weeks from the subsequent verses in this great sixth chapter, Easter Sunday. God allows the evil laws of men to coexist with his grace in Christ. Our Father mixes these laws in his grace. Finally, more application. Understand why the true church may always rejoice in the Lord. Do we really mean that, always rejoice? You know that we had a sermon on joy last week, and we referenced Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Philippians 4.4. 4. Many other References to joy. Do we really mean rejoice always in the Lord, in the Lord? Yeah, we mean that, but it takes faith and a little uh, maturity in church doesn't hurt either. Some experience with God is really helpful. When we realize that, yes, I was in a few lion's dens in the past. I've come through them. The same God that brought me through these deaths and difficulties is going to continue to do that for me. As long as he wants to for his honor and glory. Do we dare aver that Daniel rejoiced in God in the lion's den? I think so. Maybe not right at the beginning when he is being thrown down into it, but in verse 22 we find out that an angel comes and shuts the mouth of the lion. Yeah, I bet you he did some real praising down there. Those little animals, those big animals... They enjoyed the fact that a saint was among them rather than eating him up. There's let us genuinely celebrate why the true church may always rejoice in the Lord. First, because nothing can defeat us. Dear Christians, ask yourselves whether you believe that or not. Do you believe it? Do you believe that nothing can conquer you as you are in Christ and faithful in his church? Didn't say you can't be hurt. Then say you're not going to have trouble. I said, do you believe that nothing can conquer you? If Jesus Christ came out of the, de- out of the tomb alive after being dead, do you think anything can conquer you? Will he hold back anything from you that's good? Do you believe it? If you don't believe that, then your theology and or your experience needs a major resurrection overhaul. But if you do believe it, then your problems aren't going away. I want to make that clear. They're not going away. But, here's more important. Your confident walk in Christ and your love for God in Jesus is going to grow stronger and stronger. And that's the essence of life. 
Listen to these words that say it all from Romans 8.37. No, in all these things, all these terrible things Paul listed, all these things, we are more than conquerors through him, Christ, who loved us. Jesus is our hope, dear saints, in all our trials. Why the true church may always rejoice in the Lord, because nothing can defeat us since Christ has vanquished all our foes. V-A-N-Q-U-I-S-H-E-D. Destroyed them. The reason for our unbridled confidence in our Lord Jesus Christ is the fact that he has already, past tense, thoroughly thrashed and smashed and destroyed and annihilated and wrecked all of God's foes. The false... Kingdom of Satan, the world, sin and death has all come crashing down. We live in a new world. Maybe hard to believe, but it's a new world. And a better world, too. What you or I are doing today, you might say, well, Pastor, if that's true, if what you say is right, if your interpretation of the Bible and the book of Revelation and Daniel and the rest of the Bible is true, then what are we doing? And what about these troubles? Well, here's the answer to that. We are doing the mopping up operations. Those can be pretty intense, even after the wars have been ended. We're doing just the mopping up operations so that we experience with and in Jesus Christ the sorts of things that make us more like Christ. We see evil, we experience it, we touch it, it rubs on us, we have to undergo it. But all of that is simply making us more like Christ. What is your suffering? I guarantee if you're in Christ, you have it. Thank God for it. It can be your ally, dears. Greatest weakness is your greatest strength. Because when you're in that position, you know you can't do it yourself. You've got to have the Messiah's victory. Reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. View yourself that way as a soldier who's already dead, and therefore you can cast yourself into these mopping up operations with reckless abandon. And it can be pretty interesting. We traverse through the wreckage and carnage of our Messiah's victory over sin, death, hell, and the world, and in so doing it, we gain Christ-likeness and godly character, and that's a good thing. We become more like Jesus. That's the goal of life. Easter's coming, dear saints, in two Sundays, but you don't have to wait for Easter. Today is the day of resurrection. Today is the Lord's day. Enjoy the fruits of your conquest in Christ today by faith in your beloved Redeemer. His blood has removed from you all your sins, and that's a glory beyond measure. And his resurrection has secured your full, complete, absolute justification and righteousness. Absolutely. Legal, perfect, full, and complete. God views you as holy as his own dear natural son, if you're in Christ. Live in that resurrection, dears. The laws of men, the grace of God is the playing field of our life down here. It really is. won't be forever, just a little while. In Jesus, though, the forgiven church prevails over the laws of men through the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for that glorious truth. It is true. 
And we thank you so much. Yeah, the laws of men, they'll hang around here for a while, but they'll be gone. The grace of God, that lasts forever. The kingdoms of the world, they come and go. The church of Christ, that lasts through all eternity. Thank you that we are in the kingdom of God, in Christ Jesus, in your church. We pray that we will prosper there with great humility and joy in resurrection in Christ alone. Amen.